I'm Garrison Doctor. And I'm Corinne Doctor. And this is Fishing Stories. Fly fishing takes us to incredible places right in our backyard and across the world. We are here to tell the stories of those adventures. Hey guys, on this episode we have our good friend Alec Gerbeck. If you meet Alec at any point, and hopefully you'll get that opportunity, he's a a pretty quiet guy, wouldn't you say, Corinne? He's quiet unless you get him going on a funny story and then he likes a laugh like the rest of us. That's right. He can be a little bit unassuming at first, but don't let him fool you. This is a guy who has seen uh, some things fly fishing wise that we can all only dream of for the most part. Yeah, it's certainly been haunting my dreams since we spoke with Alec. Uh, We had to do a little video chat in order to get Alec to tell us his story because we are still um, apart because of the global pandemic, but we didn't want to miss an opportunity to hear a story like this from a guy like this. Yeah, we think you're going to like it. Um, Tell us a little bit of kind of his story from bluegills in the Midwest all the way through to... uh, really getting into some stories that involve multiple broken 12 weights in a single day and some GTs that'll haunt you. So if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. But without further ado, we'll uh, we'll get going on some Alec Gerbeck goodness. Here we go. Hi, Alec. How's it going, guys? It's going all right over here. Just uh, poured a little drink. We're excited to catch up. Yeah, it's cocktail hour. Absolutely. I'm joining you in that uh, festivity as well. Good boy. Um, So as you know, we're here to talk fishing because we can't really go fishing right now. Or at least we can't go fishing the places, the far phone places that we love to go fishing. Um, But before we get into too many details, um, we want to talk a little bit about who you are. So, Garrison... Okay. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Well, I guess my intro to Alec Gerbeck would be this, that the fly fishing industry is an industry that has a lot of um, like really well-known individuals with a, a look at me type kind of personality. We live in a social media age and there's nothing wrong with that. But there are also some individuals in the fly fishing industry who have been doing amazing things for a really long time that you maybe haven't heard of. They're maybe not a household name. And maybe you've heard of Alec Gerbeck, maybe you haven't. But if you haven't, he's one of those guys who's been grinding and guiding and innovating fly patterns and fly tying and uh, just loving being out and learning new things for a really long time. We don't need to age him, but rough estimate, <laughs> Alec. Yeah, wh- how, how long, long have you been casting a fly over there, buddy? Um, yeah, I, I picked up fly fishing at the ripe age of 11. I have an older brother. Uh, he's about four years older than me, and he needed a fishing buddy. Uh, so he dragged me along to the, the fly shop, and I would poke around and you know ask too many questions. and. Eventually, the fly shop owners decided to teach me how to cast. And this, this was actually in a suburb of Chicago, so not a very fly fishy place, if you will. Uh, but these guys have their heart in Montana sort of thing. So uh, 
Yeah, they taught me to cast, and we had a lot of warm water stuff around us. So I was catching bluegill and bass and stuff like that, and then taking kind of annual trips out to the west, uh, to Colorado, to Montana for the annual, you know, camping slash fishing slash, you know, just having fun with the family sort of thing. So that's where it started, and then just slowly escalated uh, to once I moved out to Colorado for college. I mean, I'm not against a bluegill in any scenario, really. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a sweetie pie right there. That's a human's best friend. And I'm sure Garrison shares my slight envy of having someone to look up to that was, like, that close in age and that close in your family that liked to fly fish. I mean, Garrison's self-taught, basically. Yeah, I have no sporting history in my family and no siblings to speak of. I have a 10-year-old half-sister, but she was sort of out of the picture. picture. So well, I had... because Garrison was um, throwing grasshoppers in her bedroom, so they, <laughs> they weren't best friends growing I mean, up. And she slept in, so that's on her as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I love that. I mean, it's, it's so cool that your brother was there um, and gave you that little nudge, and obviously you ran with it. So... I mean, we don't need to dwell a whole lot on a bio here, but when did you start guiding and give us just kind of a brief cliff notes of your uh, storied guiding career? Yeah, so uh, I moved down to Durango, Colorado for college at Fort Lewis College. And uh, after I finished up there, I started working for a local shop down there, uh, guiding places like the Animus and San Juan. Loved it to death. Uh, eventually then started working for a couple private ranches in the area. Um, but always had kind of my eye on Alaska. So I, I didn't know how to make it up there. I knew it was a kind of a tough industry to get up there because everyone else wanted to get up there too so i actually went to uh sweetwater guide school to get jet boat training uh once i got that jet boat training it gave me a huge leg up so landed a job up in alaska at enchanted lake lodge was there for eight years loved it to death um and then yeah just kind of that kept looking up what was the next step of course it was going to be saltwater so ended up uh, guiding four years uh, at Alphonse Fishing Company in the Seychelles as their head guide. I love it. And we're going to circle back on that here in not too long. Um, real quick before I hand it over to Corinne here to talk about some early Alex stories from her perspective. Oh, yeah. uh, this isn't a fly tying podcast, but I would be remiss if we didn't touch on the fact that you are an epic fly tire and innovator. When did you start tying? Uh, about the same time I started guiding, honestly, it just it became very clear that I was going through a lot of flies and I maybe didn't have the right weight fly or I wanted a better hook. Uh, so, yeah, early stages were while I was in Colorado and then working up in Alaska, my boss would actually commission me to tie the lodge flies. So I would be busy tying, you know, my peak in the off season, I'd tie about 200 dozen flies for them. Wow. Holy That's a side smokes. hustle. <laughs> I feel like I drink too much beer for that, but maybe not. I'm like, yikes. It would come down to the wire for sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, I will say I am not a tire, but I have watched some of your tying videos, as I told you. And it's very fascinating because you take such a scientific and methodical approach to it. So it's been 
really interesting hearing your perspective on tying flies because Garrison just sits in our living room and throws the finished product at me because he knows he can't get my attention other than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And then I say, yeah, I'd fish that and then I steal it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how that goes. Well, thanks uh, for the kind, kind words, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to tell the story of the very first time we met you and it makes me laugh every time because you came out to the Rep Your Water hangar we call it the hangar because it is an airplane hangar, but it's our warehouse and office. And you were standing around, you looked around, and we have this huge whiteboard that has kind of like to-do lists and other things on it. And you said, oh, Amazon or Kings, what's winning? And I had to look back at the list and I was like, what is he talking about? And I said, oh, you think this is a should we fish for kings or should we fish in the Amazon list? When the sad truth is that it was, what do we need from Amazon.com or what do we need from King Supers, the Kroger? (laughs) So I knew you were fishy when you could see fishing in something as simple as a grocery list. Yeah. And we wished it was like a pro-con Amazon versus King's trip ever after that. It was like, that's what this should be, actually. Yeah, I was feeling really bad for you if that was going to be the case. Like, uh, oh, geez, you guys have to decide between the two. Poor you. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. (laughs) Tough sweater. Oh, man. All right. Well, speaking of far-flung places... um, you mentioned that uh, you guided for quite some time in the Seychelles, and I think that is where this fishing story generates. So take it away over there. But for the people, first paint a picture of what the Seychelles are. I mean, it's on our bucket list, so we have obviously looked at a million pictures, but it's kind of a unique place. So paint us a picture of Alphonse, the operation, and the Seychelles and all of that. Absolutely. So, first of all, uh, its location, a lot of people ask me, what is the Seychelles? Where are the Seychelles? Um, So, yeah, think about the east coast of Africa. Uh, Off the east coast, you have Madagascar. That's a very large island. If you were to travel northeast of Madagascar, about 500 miles, you'd run into this huge archipelago of islands that are the Seychelles. Um, they're now independently owned. They're their own country. They were once French, then British. So their kind of uh, nationality they call Creole. So it's a very kind of Louisiana-esque sound to it, but very French. Um, That's good info. I I was always wondering who the Seychelles belonged to. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's kind of been a melting pot because it's also amongst trade routes too. So they're they're well known for trading spices in their history. coconuts, palm, you know, like all sorts of stuff had run through there quite a bit. Um, and it is actually just south of the equator, about seven degrees south, uh, the location that I'm going to talk about. Um, so, yeah, the operation, Elfonch Fishing Company, they operate a number of different atolls. An atoll is essentially a sunken volcano, so it's going to be a very shallow flat with a big deep lagoon in the middle that would be kind of like the crater. Um and so, yeah, the one I worked on primarily was Alphonse. But, yeah, there's a number of others like Cosmolito, a stove, Poip, Roche, you name it, uh, that I got to touch, too, that were incredible. And they each have their own little 
you know what they're known for if you will um alphonse is probably the more the most resorty in that uh they can accommodate a, a bunch of more guests they have a diving operation it's a little higher class whereas like a place like cosmolito is much more for the fishermen that's what you're there for um doesn't have all the foofy drinks and everything like that but are there drinks Lots of drinks. <laughs> battleship. Perfect. Perfect. As long as there's drinks around, they don't be too froofy, I think. <laughs> um, so yeah, Alphonse. Um, like I said, it can accommodate like about up to sixty. Uh, there is a a restaurant. Uh, there's tennis. There's like you know, it's quite a nice little private resort. No one could come do it yourself at this kind of place. It is uh, private in that sense. Uh, but yeah, the guests would show up for a week at a time as a minimum. But sometimes we had guests that would stay for five weeks because they loved it so much. Oh, They'd wow. come from cold places and. Uh, like Siberia, and they didn't want to spend the winter there, so they'd come spend it with us and fish the brains out. I mean, for anyone that's going to travel that far, because, you know, you're painting a picture of where it is in the middle of the ocean, you might as well put in some time. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, I'll just, like, the final note is, I mean, think of the most tropical scenario. Uh, white, white sand beaches, palm trees everywhere, very hot and humid, uh, the cleanest most alive water you've ever seen sounds spectacular yeah one day we'll make it one day we'll make it for sure. <laughs> all right. yeah money aside i would not mind spending five weeks but uh we'll, we'll work on that i think um so at alphonse you were guiding for a number of years and uh well, we're here to tell fishing stories, so I know you had a, a specific interaction in mind that you wanted to kind of kick the tires on. And we want to hear it. We want to hear it. I don't think we've heard this one, have we? Uh, no, you have not. Um, and most people don't know about this scenario that happens. It's pretty special. Um, I guess one last thing is I would say is that the season over there is about nine to 10 months of a fishing season. And you see a lot of changes happen as, you know, different tides happen, uh, the wind direction, things like that. So it's always ever changing. Um, and then as you guys probably know, there's a lot of different species over there, but what most people come for are giant trevallis. Um, so I'm going to be telling you a story about the giant trevally and a particular uh, hatch that happens that is it makes it the best fishery in the world over any of the other islands during this one period of time. Bring um, it on. Spectacular. I can't <laughs> wait to hear about this. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you go to Alphonse, but truly the fishery is called St. Francois. Uh, Alphonse and St. Francois, they're two different atolls. Alphonse is where the resort is, and then every day you would load it up onto a 55-foot power cap and take about a 45-minute trip across the channel to St. Francois, which is a much bigger fishery. Um, so this was the very first day, and... What we try to accomplish on the very first day with all anglers, whether it's their first time ever saltwater fishing or their experience, is this is Bonefish Sunday. Uh, you are there to kind of catch a lot of fish, get, get the rust off, the, the cast and all that fun stuff. And pretty low key, the guides are, you know, they go into it like they're going to have a nice easier day with uh, great success. Um, 
And so we're all cruising over on the boat. Uh, you know, there's two different tiers. The guys usually sit up top. They're all talking about their game plans, where they're going according to tide. And so we can all kind of fish in different areas. Um, and when you approach St. Francois, you have to go through kind of a main channel that they had to dynamite out way back when so you could actually get inside the lagoon with a bigger boat. Um, and so we're approaching that main channel and we suddenly start seeing what looks like, you know, bowling balls being thrown in the water, like everywhere along this shallow flat that is next to the channel. And we're like, oh my God, look, there's a, a small group of GTs there. Look, like, who's going to go fish that? Ha ha ha. And everyone's like, dude, it's Bonefish Sunday. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, and with the water being so clear, you, you know where every kind of deep coral head is as you're coming in the channel because you're trying to navigate this giant boat to get to where you moor it up before you hop on the skiffs. And as we come into the channel now, it looks like there's all these new coral heads. Um, just these dark spots in the channel we would typically take this deep up. Uh, so we're, we're like puzzling, like, what the heck is that? And as we get closer, they part and part, and eventually we realize there are these bait balls. Um, uh, I guess I'll say what the fish was. So they, the, this fish that decided to come in, and it happens every year. I'm not going to tell you what time of year because I don't want people trying to <laughs> We'll talk about that later. That's fine. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Alex still has his secrets. Okay. All right. And uh, they're, they're called a rabbit fish. So uh, like the little bunny rabbit. So uh, they're kind of crimson red and they're, they're quite small when they're in these groups, but they'd be balled up in the millions. Um, and it happens kind of like a cicada hatch. It happens sort of every year, but there are certain years that it happens especially big and the story i'm telling you now is a big big year how strange are they reef fish or are they like coming from like a pelagic area to spawn inshore or what they're a reef fish but it, it just they decide to come shallow while they're small um to kind of hold tight before they drop back down deep into the reef interesting wow Okay, so once you enter the channel of the, the lagoon of St. Francois, it's about 10 minutes to navigate to mooring where you're going to set your mothership up and then hop onto the skiffs. And the whole ride in, every single coral flat we saw had these explosions, like people throwing bowling balls in the water. And we're all scratching our head now like, holy Mary, what are we going to do? We've got a bunch of fresh anglers. They think they're bone fishing, and this is going crazy. Yeah, might be time to saddle up, boys, huh? Did you bring the GT flies? Saddle up. <laughs> so we get to mooring, and I've never seen my boys hustle like they did before. Uh, not putting their boots on for the day, just ripping their uh, anglers' rods off the boat, throwing them in their <laughs> boat, hustling them onto their skiff, and everyone's just parting towards all these exploding flats um which were deep they were not where you should be during the tide it was just it was super strange um so we all have radios too um that we communicate throughout the day where are you going to be things like that and the first guide his name's Stu, good buddy of mine he had literally drove like 30 seconds to the flat and yeah didn't even have his shoes on 
doubled up on over one meter fish. Oh my god! Oh my god! I, I believe he broke one of them off. That guy tied on a new fly real quick and then rehooked up, and he he landed a double of these giant fish. Um, and everyone else proceeded to do so as well. So it, it, it was so funny and frantic and stressful in that, like, you didn't know kind of the pattern of what was happening. Everyone was just, like, looking around, talking on the radio, like, do you see him? Do you see him? But everyone was on top of these fish like crazy. Um, so, that's yeah, insane. I, that is what? Did the fly have to be red? So that's the funny part. It's like our, our GT flies traditionally, they're about five or six inches long. Right. Um, these little rabbit fish were about two to three inches. So the very first few fish, we threw our standard GT flies and totally fine. But by the end of the day, guys were cutting with their forceps, their GT flies in half. So it, it looked like trash. And yeah, just the they full haircut. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, so you would end up now driving around looking for these crimson red looking coral heads uh, that would be moving. And you would know as soon as they would part into kind of a donut shape that the GTs were coming up from below. So that's when you knew you had to cast in there. Oh, my God. I love it. (laughs) Well, from what... I've heard from you and other people who've been to the Seychelles, like, that's sort of what the bone fishing is like. You're just, you're doubled up, and it's like, there's a million bone fish. That's incredible that that was Bonefish Sunday turned into Did you have TV. to sit the clients down and be like, okay, guys, here's the deal. This isn't actually normal. <laughs> so, you, yeah, you didn't have time, like, during that first day. Like, it right. was so, right. it was like warfare. You know, you were just doing everything you could. Um, and then at the end of the day, you almost had to apologize to be like, guys, like, that, I, I don't know what to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> After our first day, I believe between the six boats, we had something like eight or nine broken 12 weights, a, a bunch of broken lines. Um, one of the guides was so frantic. He had a, like a, you know, 80 pound GT break his fly line. And he actually girth hitched really quick his fly line. So he made a bite in his fly line and a bite in his leader just to make a knot really quick oh uh, to get some sort of makeshift leader so he could cast out again and he caught a fish. Oh my That's God. That's amazing. Give us a quick rundown. What's this? I mean, we're not obviously here to be doing too much in terms of tactic education, but give us just a feel like what's a classic GT setup? 12 weight, you need a really high breaking core fly line, right? Yeah, so you're typically, you know, at least stepping up to like a 65-pound to 100-pound core fly line. Right. Um, And then leader, primarily we're going to use about 120-pound monofilament or 100-pound fluorocarbon. Um, And then the hooks on our flies are typically a 6-aught or 8-aught, so quite a big heavy-duty setup. Are you running just straight straight fluoro or are you putting like something a little bit lighter in there that's going to break before your fly line? <laughs> yeah, good question. So what's funny about GT is it's not a jumping fish primarily. So it, it has such a fierce take and turn and go. Uh, you would have a really hard time building in a piece of, you know, smaller leader to create, you know, what most would call a fly fishing leader. Um, so it's very much so a homeboy leader. It's a straight piece. 
because once you hook them, they, they want to go straight home to the coral. They, they almost know that's their way of breaking you off. So it's everything you can uh, once you're hooking them, just locking them up and trying to keep them away from the coral. That is an intensity that I yeah. would like to experience one day. <laughs> it's so it's the most addicting fish just because it's so fast-paced. I mean, you look all day during a regular day for these fish, and their eyesight is amazing. I'm sure you've seen the blue planet where they're eating birds out of the sky. I mean, yeah. a lot of times they see you before you see them, so you've snuck up on them. You're all quiet. And then you make this big cast to them, and they they come hit your fly right away, and it's just 100 miles per hour the whole time. So it, it's just instant adrenaline. Um, so on this day, and this whole week, it happened all day, every day. Oh, my God. That group of anglers hit the jackpot. They're spoiled, though. You ruined them. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, you'd be driving past the flat. You knew there would be permit on a stingray or there's a bunch of trigger fish, whatever, and you just didn't care because you knew <laughs> the fish were coming. <laughs> the only time leaving fish to find fish is uh, justified. Right, right. What percentage of GTs do you feel like your clients landed? Broad draw strokes. So what's interesting is it's a, a mix of sizes typically on the flats at Alphonse uh, and for the most part, all the different atolls out there. Uh, so you could catch a 75 centimeter and you could catch a 130 centimeter in a day. It, it varies, but for whatever reason, these rabbit fish uh, brought out all the big boys. So these fish were all in that 50 to 90 pound range, uh, just giant black fish going crazy. Um, it, yeah, it, it's, it still gives me, you know, goosebumps thinking about those days we had. And all the guys would say the same thing. God, I could go for that. Well, thank you for uh, putting me somewhere other than my dining room right now. <laughs> I really feel like I was there. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I just like to be on the other end of the rod instead, but... <laughs> so- I would say just one last note about it is when the tide drops out, all the flats, they dry. Um, so those rabbit fish had nowhere to hide. Um, so they had to hang on the edge of the flats and you'd find the GTs there. But then a couple of the guides later on in the week decided to go outside the atoll, kind of where the big main ocean is, the big deep drop off. And we noticed that big bait balls of rabbit fish were going out there. Um, you would pull up to those big balls and there would be sharks, tuna, sailfish, wahoo, oh, wow. all on top of each other, GTs. You you would hook a GT and a shark would eat it. Uh, I mean, you never knew what was going to take. Birds were everywhere. It was like the biggest mayhem. Um, it, you, you just were yelling cast the whole time and the guy, the guy was <laughs> Cast again. That's, That's the most instruction your guide can give you. Right, right. <laughs> cast and strip, buddy. Cast and strip. <laughs> Keep it moving. That's crazy to have those blue water species sucked in super tight like that, huh? Yeah, so the atoll goes from, you know, dry to 100 meters deep within you know a 50 foot distance from those atolls are very steep so they're not scared to come in a little shallow uh, during the low tide to see what's come off the flats well we really appreciate it uh such a fun story um i don't know you want to give any other plugs any other shouts i know you're currently with umqua feather merchants you want to give some plugs to some of your flies tell people where they can buy some flies any other uh 
kind of plugs while we got the people's ears here? Uh, yeah, so I am a, a sales rep for Umqua Feather Merchants. Uh, they do carry some of my signature flies, the Alflexo crab, the uh, killer permit crab, as most of you guys probably know out there in the world. Uh, then a couple others, my po' boy, I have a milkfish fly, I have a new caddis dry fly. Uh, also work closely with Thomas and Thomas Fly Rods, uh, Neville's the man, and I've worked with him and helping develop new freshwater and saltwater rods over the last couple of years. And most of all, I'm really stoked to work with you guys now as an ambassador for Rep Your Water. Oh, we appreciate it. We're we're uh, fighting above our weight on that one, but we appreciate you. <laughs> we love having you on the team. We love having you back here in Colorado now so we can go on a couple more fishing adventures as soon as the lockdown is over. That's right. Yeah, and if you're... Hopefully planning a saltwater trip out there someday soon. We all hope we are. Get some uh, a flexo crabs, maybe a couple of po' boys. Catch a redfish, catch, catch a, a redfish, all I the mean, things. Why not? Yeah, and what's the caddis? Resting caddis? The resting caddis. Resting yes. caddis. I do love caddis fly. All right, buddy. Well, we really appreciate the time, and uh, we'll see you out there on the water. Absolutely. See you guys later. All right. Bye. Cheers. And that about does it for Fishing Stories with Alec Gerbeck. Just a reminder, if you want to check out some of his flies and some of his catches, you can find him on Instagram, Alec Gerbeck, A-L-E-C-G-E-R-B-E-C. Thanks so much, Alec, for joining us and for letting us live vicariously through your adventures. Fishing Stories is brought to you by Rep Your Water. If you like what you are hearing, go ahead and give us a five-star rating. After doing so, take a screenshot of the rating and review and email it to us at tellusafishingstory at gmail.com. You'll be entered for a chance to win a $50 gift card to rep your water. Winner will be picked June 15th, 2020.